Okay, so guys, welcome back to the Humanity Jitsu podcast. Today is episode 44. Amazingly, don't tell me how I don't. Sorry, don't ask me how I got this far. I don't know what's going on with that. But guys, we're joined by Damien Dowling. He's a black belt in jiu-jitsu under George Santos, and he's also the owner and operator of Samurai Grappling, that invitational tournament. So, so Damien, what's up, bro? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me on. So, see, guys, a bit of background on this episode. See, uh, I tried like, uh, what was it? This is like the Tony Ferguson and Khabib thing. I'm like, oh, are we free this time or that time? And then it was yeah, going to yeah. be a topic episode with Sean and Khan, but then they couldn't make it because they actually have lives. So I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. It's just an interview episode. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. I missed you. You've missed me. A couple of different things. But look, we're here now, as they say. See, man, uh, I thought, here's the funny thing. I thought yesterday was Father's Day, but because I, like, I follow a bunch of Brazilian guys and they said yeah. Father's Day in Brazil yesterday. I'm like, is it Father's Day? What the fuck? Yeah, I know, it was a couple of my yeah, Brazilian friends that text me, Happy Father's Day. I was like, hmm, is it? And then, yeah, it's obviously Father's Day in Brazil or whatever. Uh, well, like, I guess I can't complain anymore because I was always complaining that there was like two Mother's Days. There's like one in, in like... Uh, England and one in America, they're like different days. I'm like, yeah, what? Yeah. Would they get two days? What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, my my wife is Eastern European, so they have a name day as well. So oh, you get Day, your birthday, and then your name day. With uh, hers are pretty close together, so they're just blended. Thank God. Oh man, fucking hell! <laughs> and then meanwhile, I I know someone whose birthday is on Christmas, but they don't get the two separate things. They just have the one sort of. Uh, thing like ah, oh, unlucky yeah my son my youngest son his birthday is the 29th so he's a uh, 29th of december so uh we, we it, it's far enough apart where he has to do the whole two separate day thing you know oh. which we know it's good, you know oh man that's that's gotta be a whole ordeal either like uh extravagant christmas or just two like uh, what's it? Medium-sized things. I don't know what the. I don't know. I don't have children. I don't know how that works. Yeah. Uh, look, he, he's he's just eight now, so he's kind of getting to a stage where it's like, uh, where he's getting kind of smart enough to be like, you know, I can get this off Santa, and then I can get this for my birthday. I can see the kind of whole equation going through his head, his head of what to, <laughs> what what to order the more extravagant gift for and stuff like that. So, yeah, oh, it's, it's getting interesting. I tell you, I wish I was doing jiu-jitsu when I was a kid because I'd be like, well, I could get a shoyrol gi off a of Santa and then a hyperfly <laughs> gi off my parents for my birthday. So that's an idea. Yeah, so I only picked up jiu-jitsu late into my 20s. So, um, well, midway through my 20s. So, yeah, I, well, there wasn't much jiu-jitsu, I suppose, kind of back when mm. I kind of started. You know, it was only kind of kicking off. But, yeah, again, I really wish I could have done it when I was a lot younger. See, I actually brought this up on my episode with uh, Paul Fox from Royal Grappling Academy. You guys sort of came up during the the Great Irish Famine, not the Potato Famine, the Jiu Jitsu Famine. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think uh, Paul would be around kind of a, a lot longer. He would have been the kind of original kind of guys that was around the place. I think Paul would have probably even been a purple belt when I started. I think he would have been a purple belt, or he's close to purple belt anyway. I started in um, li- literally the, this week is like literally my tenth year in jiu-jitsu. So I started in August 2010. Shit, so well, I, th- I think I think he was about before that. I think he was about before that. Hmm. Uh, see, while we're on the topic, see, uh, did you train anything else before starting jiu-jitsu? Like I know there was different martial arts knocking around ireland there was a, a fuck ton of karate and ninjutsu shit there's a whole bunch of weird shit but no jiu-jitsu way back in the day yeah i, I kind of d- done a couple you know as a kid you know i done kempo and things like that and uh, then i done a bit of boxing then when i was getting into my late teens and uh, then i done toy boxing um in dublin i was, was living in dublin at the time i was you know doing a bit it was semi kind of serious had a couple of fights and stuff and then got to my 20s then I moved to Drada so I would have been 21 this time Um, just you know life got in the way for a while and um, started training at a toy boxing gym up here and again I was just training just for the crack you know never kind of had you know I kind of had a couple of fights before but 
I was busy with work and had a new house and things like that. So um, that kind of petered out after a couple of months. And then I kind of got the bug again to do something. And kind of MMA was starting to take off. I would have been watching the original kind of Tups back then. Which, when it was back on, I think it was Bravo we used to watch it on here. Um, so it would have been Spike in the US, but I think it was on Bravo here. Um, then I started kind of peaking interest in MMA. Um, an MMA club had opened up in Jordan. It would have been at Wayne Fagan's original academy. Um, I don't even know what it was called at the time. Called like Ultimate Fight Academy or something. So uh, hey, so I plugged my headphones out there. Sorry, um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know how I done it. So uh, yeah, I, I started training there, and I was I was kind of I was working in a hotel in Dublin at the time, and I was doing little bits and bobs. I was um, training a little bit in a ninjutsu place at Colin Bourne, who probably a lot of people would know, was teaching an MMA class on a Saturday in um, this ninjutsu place in Parnell Street. So I was doing a little bit there as well, and uh, working in a hotel, I had a good few Brazilians who were there. Um, was literally doing a little bit of training with them guys in the ballroom as well. So I was kind of started off kind of doing three different things, you know. But um, yeah, so then 2010. Uh, August, I joined uh, Wayne's and kind of started doing a lot of MMA. Um, had a couple of fights in MMA. was absolutely shy. And um, started having kids and stuff. So it was um, time to just focus on one thing and just started to really enjoy jiu-jitsu. And it kind of became my passion from there. Uh, look, I still like smacking pads every now and again, but I don't like getting punched in the face, to be honest. <laughs> so stick, stick with jiu-jitsu. Yeah, long for longevity's sake. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I'd say like when I started, I was like thirty or twenty-five. So, and I'd been doing bits and bobs, you know, for a while. So I was already pretty banged up. So, um, I had a couple of years in MMA training, a couple of fights into that. It was, just really wasn't enjoying MMA anymore. You know, it was still kind of showing up for the classes and stuff, but jujitsu kind of took off as my passion from there. You know. No, I get you. Now, see, one thing uh, you mentioned there was that you trained in the ballroom with a bunch of Brazilians. Like, yeah, people well, might, was, take that, they <laughs> might take that the wrong way, thinking you're doing, like, fucking ballroom dancing or something. <laughs> no, we were literally, uh, was a Brazilian guy, Marcel, um, he actually passed away in Brazil. He was murdered, actually. Um, but uh, he, was a, he was a blue belt, hadn't been training for a while. And uh, he just started messing with me. I was one of the managers, and we got on well. So he would just literally stick a rear naked choke on me when I was walking past him. And I was just like, hadn't a clue what was going on. But uh, he was telling me he was doing jiu-jitsu before. And he was looking to train again. And he just was like, look, like the ballroom, it's carpeted, or there's you know, a dance floor or whatever. So he just started showing me some moves. And you know, this became a kind of weekly thing. We started to train together. And again, like he was just show me you know guillotines and rear nakeds and arm bars and stuff like that and guard and things like this so no but it was uh, my first kind of proper introduction to jiu-jitsu you know mm. See, you what said. was your uh, sorry what was your first sort of experience with, like a uh, jiu-jitsu competition like how'd that sort of go for you yeah so i started training in, <laughs> officially in, in august 2010 then so that was when i joined wayne's place and uh, the Irish Open, if I remember correct, was in October, I think, of that year. So I jumped in, you know, the knot of my belt tied upside down and sideways and the whole thing. And um, I fought a guy called Richie. I think he was an MMA guy around a while ago. He was pretty good, actually, from Cork. Yeah, I think he's black belt in judo. Can't remember his second. Richie Gorey. I'm sure a couple of people would be familiar with him. Uh, he was a very good guy who was around a while ago. But yeah, he buried me with this massive big judo throw within two seconds and armbarred me and broke my arm, actually. <laughs> so that was my first experience in jiu-jitsu competition. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. So I was only trying a couple of months, jumped in. Um, and to give you a little bit of context, it was like... It was out in, um, where Dave Jones worked. I think it was out in the south side somewhere. I can't remember. What the name of the school is? It's a school there on the south side somewhere. 
I can't remember the name of it. I'm sure a couple of guys would remember. But there was like a purple belt super fight on. And this was like amazing, you know. Nobody, everyone was like waiting to see these two purple belt guys. I can't even remember who it was. Who it was. I think it could have been uh, Patrick Boylan against um, some Brazilian guy. So that'll kind of give you a bit of context of what it was like in them days. Purple belt super fights is the you know, main event at the Irish Open. Hmm. God damn, man, that's a fucking, uh, that's quite the story. Like, oh, how'd your first competition go? Oh, yeah, man, I got I got submitted in 10 seconds, or I, lo- I lost by, like, 20 points. Oh, I got my arm broken. <laughs> yeah, and the, the, the thing about it was, like, the, the adrenaline and stuff was that much. I knew something was kind of up, but um, it, it didn't really feel too bad. So um, I drove home, and kind of I, I was halfway home, and it really started to kick in. So I had to drive the rest of the way from the south side of Dublin, to to draw it to um to get to get seen because <laughs> it really started out. and then yeah so I went to the hospital and I had fractured uh, the radial head so my elbow I still can't fully extend my right arm to this day. Ugh. Imagine that's a problem when you win matches and they raise your arm like ah fuck that hurts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like you you can see it in pictures and stuff it just it, it's really weird it's 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 like always at an at an angle. You know, or, or if somebody does try and armbar me on the right side, I really have to try and get out quick enough, or keep because it just doesn't extend. Like I'll tap before the arm is even straight, not from the armbar, just because the the structure is just so messed up. You know. Okay, so a bit of word word to the wise for anyone fighting Damien: armbar is right arm. <laughs> armbar is right arm. Yeah. <laughs> right, uh, speaking of competitions, there, do you have a preferred rule set to sort of uh, you prefer competing under? Um, yeah, I, I really enjoy kind of the sub only kind of no gi format lately. Um, like for years, I was always preferred IBGF gi style competition. Um, and uh, just kind of towards it, like I was never really any good in competition. Yeah, I'd won a, like a couple of things at, at blue belt. Um, don't think I won anything at purple. Um, first year in brown belt was pretty rough picked up a knee injury and didn't really train so um I kind of decided then kind of 20 2019 that I was going to give it a decent go at competing and then um, jumped on a couple of sub only shows and managed to win a good few of the matches so um I just kind of prefer that kind of atmosphere the kind of theater kind of show as compared to just like your normal competition you know so I'd say more the, the last kind of the last few years, really, I've been enjoying the kind of no-gi sub-only rules there. Mm. So, man, do you have a favourite submission just in general? Like, do you just catch, like, not just particular competition, just in the gym, wherever. It's your favourite submission, just hands down. Um, I, it's, the thing, it's, it's, it, it's really weird. I, I, I always hit, hit, like, Kimuras in competition, but it's something that I never really hit in, um, I, I never really hit them in, in training. You know, it's one of the things where I kind of, I would use it to sweep or I'd use it like as a Kimura trap to take the back or whatever. But um, yeah, I hit, I hit Kimuras a lot in competition and straight footlocks I hit quite a lot in competition too. Um, I would be a fan of the leg lock game. Um, I'd be decent enough at it, like I wouldn't be too good. I've lost a good few matches <laughs> due to heel hooks as well. But um, yeah, it's kind of, I like the kind of leg lock entanglements. But um, same thing, look, I, I do a good few leg locks and training and stuff, but yeah, the Kimura one has always been a weird one for me. I just catch them from everywhere, half guard, you know, even from single butterfly where the guy's trying to pass. You know, I, I, I catch them from kind of all angles, you know. I've, I even catch them from when the guy passes. If I have the Kimura grip and the guy passes into side control, and I, I've still hit it a couple of times from there too. So uh, yeah, it's just been a weird one. Man, at least you actually, at least you have the Kimuras to your name. All I have is the ankle locks. Like every submission win I have is by ankle lock, and like it's not because I'm amazing at them. That's just because I'm shit at everything else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, that, that's the only thing that happens when you hit one thing at a time, and you kind of are one thing all the time, and you, you kind of, um, if you overanalyze it too much, you can probably do yourself a disservice, you know. Yeah, that's why I'm making like a conscious effort not to fucking use them in training anymore. Like I get them occasionally if someone's like really messing me up, but like it's like a last resort sort of thing now. Yeah, like I've got a, I've got a 
purple belt with Jim Martina. So she's probably our most successful competitor. She's won, won everything, you know, Irish Open, Irish Nationals, the whole lot. But um, it's triangles. She's triangled everybody. I think I've seen her hit one ar- one or two arm bars in competition off of the triangle position. But um, so I'm just anytime she's triangling, I just have to be like, okay, no triangles today. And she's like, no, but I'm so good at it. I'm like, I know, but I get to get so good at something else, you know. It's weird to kind of try and balance that if you're kind of as a coach to be like, right, I know you're phenomenally good at this, and you hit everybody with it, but I'd like you to try and develop something else, and then you see that kind of. There, even if the triangle is there or whatever, they kind of glint in their eye, kind of waiting to hit it. But uh, they know they can't because they're saying, "Look, I don't want you to hit any triangles or armbars for next world. Try to hit something else." But it's a, it's it's a weird one to kind of balance that with competitors. Mm. It's an interesting one. I know it's sort of a catch twenty two. Like uh, yeah, exactly. You, yeah. You, you won't get better at anything else just by doing that. But like you know, you won't feel like you're doing any good unless you like exactly. keep getting it. It's it's yeah. fucked up. <laughs> uh, let's see what was your first sport uh, yeah, first sort of seminar that you attended in jiu-jitsu and do you remember what was taught at it um first seminar i suppose the first proper seminar uh, i went to would have been uh, ed clay and then um, jimmy harbison they were two our uh, lloyd irvin black belts at the time had come over um I think that would have been the first one. So that would have been like October, October 2012. Um, it was in Rush Fight Academy in Paul Cowser's gym. Um, it was the day I got my blue belt. Um, yeah, they, 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 he showed um, a lot of anacondas and Darce variations and then hitting the sneaky arm bars off of uh, Darce setups and anaconda setups and stuff. Um, I think it was like no gi in the morning, gi in the afternoon. It was all based around... Darces, anacondas, how to hit them, how to clear the arms when your opponent defends and stuff like that. So yeah, some details are still used today. And I suppose like back then to have kind of those kind of level of guys here, you know, two Lloyd Irvin black belts, kind of was, you wouldn't have seen guys like that here, you know. I don't even know how they came about to come here. I think it was Wayne or something might have organised them to come. But uh, yeah, really good seminar. Mm. See, man, have you ever like a... Have you ever inter- gone to seminar, seen something really good, and you've just integrated so well into your game, it's become like a mainstay? Yeah, I, 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 yeah, yeah, I have. But uh, it's it's often, like, the thing I always would have kind of picked up would just been a small little detail that might just change the way that I've done a, done a position or I finished a move or how I would hold a position or whatever, you know, just a slight little detail of where to position my hand or my elbow or my shoulder or whatever. So I'd more like kind of pick that, those kind of details that were seminars rather than one whole sweeping line of things because I'm quite forgetful. <laughs> so like I, I, I think I have, you know, with, uh, I went to a Munch's seminar in Royal Grappling Academy. He's doing a lot of single X stuff. It was, it was amazing. You know, I was hitting it all the time when I was there. I felt great doing it. And then I was like, got back to the gym then, let's say it would have been on Saturday, on Monday, and I uh, c- couldn't remember half of it, you know. So if I go to seminars now, I always take notes, or I'll even ask the guys, are okay if I video myself doing it? Because some guys are a bit wary about you filming them doing moves or whatever. Mm. So I'd always try and film myself doing the positions or whatever to say that it, I'm actually going to remember it instead of it just flying out of my head as soon as I walk out the door. Oh man, see, I usually never record seminars. Like, I don't know why, but see, uh, what's it? The last time I went to a good one was like, uh, what's it? It was Christian Woodman C. It was like, this a while ago. And man, I fucking loved that seminar. It was like Delaheva stuff. And he's like, guys, you can you can record it. It's all good. And I managed to record the whole lot of it. And man, I'm so fucking glad I did because it's so fucking good. Yeah, Christian's an amazing guy. I don't know him personally, but I know him. He's a very good relationship with George. Um, he was supposed to teach a seminar at my gym but a couple of things happened here there and it never got around so I was kind of kicking myself because he's a savage bloke and amazing Delahue game he's really really good so I was kind of kicking myself and it never happened because I didn't attend his seminar in George's because I knew he was coming to mine like and yeah I kind of kicked myself that I didn't go Oh man, I remember I was going to go to that. Didn't uh, the one he, he was doing to do with George just get cancelled anyway? Because, like, uh, 
I think that that's what happened because like I was going to go. He's and, been there like two or three times, so I'm not too sure. I'm not too uh, sure. Like any time, any time he's over here, he's in Georgia's, you know. But I think the last one that he was, the last one that was scheduled, it didn't happen. I don't think. Yeah, that that was the one I was talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but uh, if anyone gets a chance, to, I think he actually has an affiliate now, doesn't he, in, in Ireland? Yeah, it's a uh, Forge Grappling yeah, in uh, Forge, Belfast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I actually, yes. I actually had the guy uh, Mike Summers who runs that gym on. That was a good, that was a good one. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. Is he, is he still got that clothing brand? He said Break or something. Did he Break or? Uh, I don't know. Hey, we didn't we didn't talk about that. I didn't come up. <laughs> okay. I didn't even know about that. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> I think he had a clothing brand or something. Anyway, I might be wrong. I might be wrong. All right, we have some uh, questions that are aimed for coaches now. See, so what's the first sort of technique or concept you try and instill in like uh, your beginners people? Uh, so basically, I would do. Uh, we actually have one going at the moment. So um, I was going to set out like an eight-week introduction. So that would basically be I take them through every position that we can so it's a week format so they generally do three or four sessions per week what well, we'd hope to do at least three um and we take them through everything so i i, I know some guys start off with guard and stuff like that but i find like if if a new guy walks in the door and you stick him between like a guy's legs there's a couple of different skills of thought i suppose most we don't do much much advertising we would just pop it up on our facebook page so well, we kind of assume most guys coming through the door would have an understanding of what's going on. Like, they wouldn't be exactly raw to it, you know, or they would have seen UFC and stuff like that. But um, I would try and start off with just simple takedown stuff, getting the person to the floor, simple little things like then what happens if we're in guard, if we're in side control, things like this. Um, and then I would just take it through. So we have a, a curriculum. Like, this week we're going to be working on side control, so we'll do, like, bottom stuff like key concepts about how to stay safe on the top key things about how to kind of keep your opponent there and what's available from there and then through over the throughout the eight weeks we would go through basically every position so they kind of have a fundamental knowledge of basically everything what's going on then for when they hit then after the eight weeks then we would hit into more elaborate then one position instead of it being a week it would be like one month on a specific topic, you know. Mm. See, man, what's your sort of coaching style? What would you sort of, uh, what's it, um, what's the fucking word I'm thinking of? What would you put more uh, F time into, drilling, rolling, or specific sparring? What's your sort of take? Um, personally, um, I, would, I wouldn't do much drilling. I kind of would focus more on kind of concept-based stuff or polishing up things that, that I'm already good at. Um, other than that, I just love to roll. But <laughs> as coaching my own students, um, I try to put a lot of emphasis on drilling. Um, I find it beneficial to particularly kind of newer kind of guys to really get a position down. It's like I find like I do a position with somebody, you know, we spend a couple of weeks on it or whatever, and then two months later they've forgotten everything because you keep passing through different positions and then it's the, the new stuff in their head. And it's just... So when I started coaching, I was teaching, like because we, we were we were a small enough club, not many not many numbers. I would have been teaching crazy classes, like two hours long, and getting like mad amounts of positions in. And then um, I was talking to George, and maybe he would have seen one of my classes or whatever. And he's like, "Man, you're teaching too much. <laughs> he's like, you're showing too many things. You're gonna get carried away with the positions and showing everything and passing too much knowledge on. But you're completely like." come flushed on the lads and their heads are all over the place so just break it down one or two positions just keep drilling keep drilling then we can move on to something different so uh, yeah no drilling would be a big thing but uh, yeah I love sparring and we're kind of we would do kind of more more gi so than no gi but um, it's something I'm going to look at kind of post-COVID see how we can jig things around to kind of get a 50-50 mm. I feel yeah I've I don't know about you, but man, I fucking I just love gi way more than no gi. Because first and foremost, I can actually win matches in the gi. I haven't fucking I've never even won a match in no gi, but I can actually win shit in gi. So I'm like, that's why I like gi more. <laughs> yeah, well, like that, that's one of the, the things. Like I was like I was like 2019 was kind of my best year, kind of competition-wise, or one of the bits and bobs and different stuff. But um, you know, if you had said to me going into 2019 that I would have won, I think I only lost like three or four. 
no game matches the whole year, whereas I only won <laughs> four matches at four matches in the gi. I think they were all the Irish nationals where where I got gold. So I was like. It's just it's a completely weird one, you know. Somebody had said to me, you know, you're gonna win a lot more Nogi this year. And I think it was just that more so the opportunities were there in Nogi, more so than in the gi, and that's just the way it happened, and I just happened to be, be win quite a lot of the matches. But like I never would have believed you if you had said to me, Look, you're gonna win a lot more Nogi this year than you will gi. And then I suppose I suppose one of those things where you're 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 having success in that particular format, so you kinda of enjoy it more. But um, like I would have always said, like prior to that, I know gi, hundred percent of the way gi. I know I still do love gi. I love the intricacies of gi. But um, I kind of go through kind of swings and roundabouts with it. Like this six months, I'll be stuck into a position like lapel guard or one guard or whatever, and I'll be absolutely entrenched in that position. And so I'll kind of slack back on the no gi stuff. Then I will start hitting things like. I'll be looking at different entries like K-Guard or whatever for an Ogi, and then that will have me kind of enthralled then for the next six months, you know. So that will then become my favourite. So I kind of, I swing between the two, and I kind of, it works for me because I'm always focusing on different aspects. I don't get bored, if that makes sense. Hmm. Ah, I you get know, you. Like, this time, no Ogi next time. But, um, yeah, sw- swings around the world. It keeps changing all the time. Hmm. So, yeah, man, do you have any advice for, like, future gym owners, sort of uh, certain pitfalls to avoid or any just uh, anything to make the whole aspect of opening up a gym a hell of a lot easier? Because we all know it's not all fucking sunshine and rainbows opening up a gym. Uh, no, I would definitely. Well, it depends on what position guys are coming from. Um, like, my kind of gym just opened up, like, like Wayne had closed down his place and, um, had moved back to Dublin or whatever had, had gone on but um, so there was no kind of jiu-jitsu places around um, I had owned a fitness gym and I had a room off to the side of it and we just literally like four or five of us threw 10 mats in it and started rolling and it kind of took on this kind of snowball effect where I was like a purple belt at the time the other guys were like blue and just because I was the highest rank I was the one who was teaching positions like and again it was very informal and then more guys started coming and then it was like, right, I suppose we were at this kind of crossroads where, you know, it was like, do we do we give it a go? Do I not? But um, it kind of has worked out for me because I, I can do that alongside my fitness work. You know, I work a lot with teams and I do fitness classes and things like that. So, I mean, it's one of those things where I always had something to kind of fall back on. So I was never pressurized into making it a success. And I still don't kind of think of myself as an academy owner it's really weird because like I, I have another source of income so i'm not really pushed to to, to make it a financial success you know yet yeah, we've a fairly successful academy and it's, it's very busy and stuff but i suppose that the pressure was never on me to make it a success so i never really kind of like i'm very easy going i'm very laid back coach and that kind of translate to my to my teaching style so um if i had to be under pressure and stressed all the time I just wouldn't enjoy it and I don't think I, I would have kept it kept it going so um, probably not the best example to use because it, it's not my complete like I'm a full-time jiu-jitsu coach with a full-time table but I do do things outside of there that kind of supplement my income or, mm. so I'm not under pressure that way you know but um, just to, I just have fun I just have fun with it I don't try I never tried to make it a business I never tried to you know really push guys on and um, I just try to get guys to retain students. It's you know jujitsu is hard. Um, you know if you spend a couple of weeks away from it, even like up to a month, or you try and come back, and you know you're behind the guys who you were ahead of at that time, and you know you just get kind of just your head doesn't be there. Your head won't be in it if you get beaten up by guys who you used to beat up. And you know I just try and make sure that my students continue to try and. I'm just saying, look at you will regret it <laughs> if you give it up. You know, six months, seven months down the line, like, shit, I shouldn't have given it up for two years. I'm just saying, whatever's going on in your life, you got to use jiu-jitsu as a way to kind of get yourself through that. And as your your kind of your your mental block for that couple of hours, you're in the academy or whatever. Mm. So it's just a focus on member retention. We I mean getting, we all know the kind of student drop-off for new members is, is pretty high. You know, so uh, just to focus on the guys who were there. And uh, make sure everybody's having a good time. 
don't pressurize your students too much and just have fun with it. Mm. All right, so Damien, for anyone who doesn't know, you actually run an, a grappling invitational, <clears throat> sorry, a grappling invitational tournament called Samurai Grappling. Do you want to let it, sort of tell us why you sort of uh, how how and why you sort of set up the, the that invitational tournament? Yeah, so it, it's not just me uh, that that's involved. With it. I would primarily do the matchmaking and dealing with the fighters and getting that sort of things done. Uh, one of my students, uh, he's a blue belt, Graham Brodigan. He would look after all the production side of things and I suppose a lot more of the day-to-day running of it than I do, although I would just I look after all the fighters and stuff like that. Um, it was just kind of, I said like 2019 I'd competed on a lot of uh, the, the sub-only shows like Sub Over 80 and Grapple Kings and things like this and uh, absolutely tremendous shows but um, we kind of wanted to do something a little bit different you know. Um, uh, I think yeah, Connor Dillon had uh, the Battle of the Boyne a good few years ago, and he had done like um, a raised platform in the middle of a room. Um, so I really wanted to kind of explore that kind of concept and uh, make it more of a show, you know, so where fighters could enjoy and, you know, could be given a proper stage to uh, kind of compete on. And then like watching things like Fight to Win and things like that, we really wanted to kind of emulate that, but, but in Ireland. Um, four shows absolute massive success um, but, and then the whole kind of Covid thing happened and kind of put Spanner on the works for, for the second show but um, yeah um, it's I suppose just once we can get the, the, the go ahead to kind of get things moving again we'll be right back um, like another thing we were trying to do for Samurai, for Samurai 2 was anybody who had won, won the tournaments like the, the, the brown and black belt lads the elite guys we were kind of trying to contract them so you know they would have contracts with us we were trying to do things completely professional and really trying to improve kind of the whole professionalism of grappling in ireland but then um, obviously corona has put a major spanner on that like we had lined up um jackson Souza to come over and he was matched with um what's that guy's name Icelandic guy so he's he's gonna kill me now but <laughs> it's completely got got out of my head Anyway, we had we had Jackson Sills in the main event, which is you know one of these things where um, we we really just wanted to put on a professional event and bring some of the top grapplers from from Europe and around the world in here to fight, um, and then hopefully boost the level of Irish guys so where they could be in a position to fight the kind of top guys in the world, you know. No, I get you. See, we got a few questions. I put up a questionnaire on Instagram and Reddit, and one of the most common ones I got about like what goes into like sort of running a grappling event is like uh, insurance and health and safety. What's the sort of insurance aspect of that? Because I can't imagine that's an easy sell. Like, oh, yeah, guys, we're going to have a sporting event. Okay, sporting yeah. event. A sporting event where people deliberately try and injure each other. Wait, what? Yeah, well, you see, the way, the way these things kind of work, we we approached all all the usual kind of kind of guys, and uh, the way it was was that we were holding ours in a theater, so it was um the basically the insurance cover was based all around how many people were going to be there at one time, kind of we had to do a whole risk assessment of the building, whole risk assessment of, of our event, you know we had to have contingency plans, you know what our medical cover was going to be, it, it it's not an easy one, and um trying to get people who will ensure these events um, was a lot more difficult than I anticipated. But um, we, we did get insurance. Um, most of the thing, though, is like you're, you're, you're doing an event where the, 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 the participants are knowingly going into, you know, a, a combat arena, so to, so to speak. So, I mean, you can't really insure them against the injuries that they could receive, you know, because they're knowingly going into it. It's mainly... What our insurance company wanted to know was that anybody else was going to get injured while attending that event. Mm. So it was just just from that area they wanted to know because I don't think there is an insurance company who will insure, you know, competitors who are inside, you know, a, a jiu-jitsu match. It just they're they're known participants and going into it willingly. But uh, it's 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 a, it is a bit of a minefield. I was actually talking to someone who was looking for insurance for an event that's coming up and. It, Apparently it's a lot easier these days, kind of with Corona, and a lot of people have cancelled insurance or don't have insurance policies, so they're willing to kind of insure a lot more events now, where they suppose would have been kind of 
you know, they were turning away business kind of pre-COVID, you know. So it'll be an, an interesting one to kind of see how we how we go on and what kind of because the 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 cost of the premium goes up by how many people you have in the building, you know. So it's yeah, it's quite expensive. <laughs> take the juggle, but uh, it's a uh, completely kind of it's a cost that you can't go without getting, you know. Mm. But is uh, yeah. insurance in Ireland is a, is a complete minefield, you know. So we just have to look at our, you know, our fucking car insurance and things like that to know how. It just seems like insurance companies are out to screw you, no matter what you do and where you go and what way you turn. Uh, you know that that's their whole business model is the way of it. Uh, what's your sort of uh, rule set for your matches and stuff for anyone who doesn't know? Uh, so we were following a similar set to the original Polaris rules. So we had ten ten minute matches, um, not sorry nine minutes and six minutes. So what we done was nine minutes divided up into three sections. So we would have had like a 10 point, 10 point move system, if you want to call it that, or a 10 nine for each of the three minute sections, you know, and it's a, it's a kind of, it's, it was kind of the, the best available kind of at, at the time, you know, we're definitely looking to see how we can improve it. Um, you know, cause we really wanted it to be kind of fan friendly. You know, we originally, we, we wanted to kind of get onto streaming it and stuff like that. So we really want the matches to be entertaining and kind of not just stalling. But, like, it's hard, like I've seen, there's a couple of matches, you know, where, you know, one guy has won the first two sections of a fight and then a guy has absolutely dominated the last three minutes but just couldn't finish and he ends up losing the match. So it's, like, it's it, it's not it's not perfect. But um, it was kind of the best we had available at the time, so... You know, we're definitely always talking about how to kind of change it and how to improve it. So, uh, hopefully, for the next one, we will um, we will uh, look at changing a couple of things. It's going to be a trial and error kind of thing, you know. Mm. Um, but f- for me, Polaris kind of the original one seems to be the kind of best about. Um, mm. it's it can only really be a draw if it's a fairly even match, you know. Whereas, I don't like the EBI overtime rules. Um, just I'm not a fan of it. I don't like where you've kind of absolutely dominated a guy for the whole match and then he's given an opportunity to take your back and he submits you or he escapes quicker or whatever. I just don't find it very fair. Mm. No, I can, I can understand that. It's you know it's like you said it's a trial and error thing. So I imagine once you have a few more events, you'll all like uh, be more comfortable and be all like, oh yeah, this is how we'll do it now or we'll keep doing it this way, depending. Yeah, so like like the plan is for Samurai Two now going forward is like as soon as we get the the kind of the go ahead, and uh, we're gonna have kind of a soft show if you want to say it like that where it won't be kind of we won't have the international guys in like last time we'll just have Irish competitors so it'll be an all Irish show, um and just so we can kind of get an event under our belt and then kind of showcase kind of Irish guys more so than anything else, um, and then we can certainly look at the bigger shows then going forward, and we're just to be honest the, the way to kind of COVID thing is going. It's it's all over the place at the moment, you know. There's things changing weekly. So, I mean, we don't even have a time frame of when, you know, I see the grapple industries are saying they're coming here in October and I'd love to see that go ahead, but... Sorry, somebody called me there. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, so... Um, uh, what was I saying? Yeah, I uh, I just I, I don't know what, what's going to happen. I don't know where we're going to be when events are going to be kind of allowed to go ahead again, and kind of what procedures we'll need to put in place. Because like obviously like it's we, we don't have governing bodies and stuff like that, um, which can be a, a positive thing. It's just us looking out for the kind of safety of of everybody who's involved, you know. So um, it'll be. But as soon as we can put an event on, we already have kind of a couple of matches in the pipeline where we want to get just all Irish guys on board. And I think we're kind of at a level now where we could have an, an all Irish show and we could have, um, you know, a, a completely amazing show with just Irish guys on it. And hopefully we can pull it off, you know? Mm. Yeah, speaking of Irish guys, fucking uh, Con just texted me there. You know, uh, Con Fenley is one of my co-hosts and he's been on Samurai yeah. before. He's like, yeah. oh, when, uh, when can I grapple on Samurai again, he says. So <laughs> I'll send this little snippet to him. Um, and Khan actually had an absolutely amazing match on Samurai. Um, he fought a guy from Mjolnir. Um, absolutely amazing performance. Uh, won a unanimous decision, if I believe. Completely dominated the match. It was brilliant. Um, yeah, Khan. Khan will be on the next show that we have. 
as I said, I don't want to say to guys like, oh, the, the, the 10th of October or whatever, and it doesn't come off. Basically, the, the, the thing that we're getting now is that all, like, we're, we want to have theatre shows. So, you know, we use the TLT theatre that's here in, in Drada, and that's an absolutely fabulous theatre. But um, they've changed the layout of their venue to make it more kind of COVID friendly, which seems to be kind of a permanent fixture. Um, and also, a lot of theatres have cancelled their insurance policies. So they then need to kind of, once they can start having their kind of events, like their normal theatre events or whatever they have, you know, then we will be allowed to kind of explore dates. But um, other than that, you know, we're kind of just stuck in a lurch where, you know, I'm looking, we're saying to the theatre guys, look, what about this weekend in October? And they're just like, guys, we just don't know what way it's going to go. And we have mountains of shows to, <laughs> that are backed up to get done and, you know, tickets that are purchased for and things like that. And kind of, um, basically, grappling <laughs> isn't high on their agenda at the moment. Um, but like as soon as we get to go ahead and they get their insurance back in place and then we can uh, we can start exploring dates and then we'll, we'll be all over it mm. no i get you all right so guys we reached the segments of the podcast i like to call around the specifics just a bunch of random questions some about jiu-jitsu some aren't about jiu-jitsu so do you want to do around the specifics damien yeah let's do it awesome and what would you say is your favorite gi in your collection if you have one yeah, this is a <laughs> this is a really weird one. So it's not a show you're all. It's not. It's a it's a, a gi that I, I got off George. It's called a Rio kimono. Um, it's just the fit is absolutely perfect. Um, the drawstring on it is all cotton, so it really doesn't come untied. It stays tight. It's not elasticated. Uh, the fit is just perfect. The material, everything about it is just amazing, you know. And it's like it's it's a brand that I think. Um, I, I don't even know what they're doing at the moment, but I, I checked them out originally. And um, George, it was a friend of George's from Brazil. Um, and <laughs> I checked their Instagram. I think they have one picture of like just that gi and kind of, they've just kind of disappeared off the face of the earth. But uh, absolutely amazing gi. It's uh, called Rio Kimono. It's savage kimono. Man, other I wonder... that, uh, yeah, other than that, I just have I've, like 14 tatami gis. <laughs> I know a couple of Kings gis as well, but... Um, yeah, I, I really like Tatami. Tatami's a kind of great, great gi for kind of, you know, if you, you Diastillo is absolutely amazing. Um, I kind of would be close enough to my competition weight. So uh, I like to use their, um, the ultra light ones and the, the Leve kimono. So, as I do be kind of cutting it fairly, fairly tight for the weight. Mm. But um, yeah, I, I, like I've never been one for the show year olds or things like that. It's never really interested me. Um, I would love to have one if someone wants to give me one. But uh, yeah, check out Rio Kimonos if anyone sees them about. They're very good gigs. Mm. Oh man, I tell you, I fucking love Tatami. Tatami is my jam. I have 20 something gigs and they're all Tatami. Yeah, like you just can't fault them. Uh, the only gear I didn't like was the Japanese Koi one that they brought out. I just don't like the thickness of the. Yeah, and that's the, pro- that's the problem now with kind of these lighter weight gears. You got this massively thick collar with very, very light material, so it's very easy for people to choke you. They get a good, decent grip on that collar. The the material is so light that it just rams under your neck, and it's it's very hard to get out. Mm. But uh, like I'd say, that that was probably one of their ones that wasn't the best. But other than that, they've been hitting home runs all the time with their gears. Mm. Yeah, plus there's uh, one, I have the, what's it, I have the Samurai Gi. It's it's the same range as the Koi one, but it's just a white yeah. version. Yeah. Like, I think, like, uh, I, I'm i perfect in an A2. Once I get an A2 after Tammy and I wash it and it's shrunk just a little bit, the A2 sleeves are perfect length on me. But just with that, them fancy Gi's, they don't shrink. So they're just ever so slightly too long. And that's yeah. annoying as fuck because when you want to take them in, like get them sewn in, you're like losing the embroidery, so it doesn't look yeah. as nice. And you're like, oh my exactly. god, you know. Yeah, yeah, no, I hear you. Yeah, but um, yeah, so look, I, I just stick to the the, the, the Leve. Uh, I've got an Ultra Life from Kings. I only actually got that a couple of weeks ago. Uh, love that kimono; it's pretty good. Um, but other than that, I just stick to the Estilo, and you can't go wrong. Hmm. Oh, man, who would you say is the most famous person you've rolled with? Um, who's the most famous person I've rolled with? Um, trying to think. Um, 
uh, quick for you, kind of put me on the spot here. Um, <laughs> try to think. Probably haven't rolled with too many kind of world class kind of guys. Um, like I've definitely been in, in the same room as a lot of these guys trained at the same time, but you know, it's always been around Europeans or things like that where they're, they're just a drill and they just don't want some Muppet from Ireland jumping in and risking them getting injured when they're two days away from Euros or whatever. Um, trying to think. I don't know, to be honest. No one kind of really stands out. <laughs> no, I get, it's shit answer. <laughs> uh, there's no such thing as shit answers. Just questions to certain people. <laughs> All right, what was uh, your favourite TV show when you were growing up? Favourite TV show when I was growing up? Uh, I suppose the only one that kind of springs out to me would be Scrubs. Yeah, Ooh, that was Scrubs. Yeah, man. So I don't know if that's growing up. I suppose most people would, be, would have been young, but I'm in my mid thirties now. So yeah, that was one I couldn't started rewatching there a couple of weeks ago as well. Mm. And man, that's the that's the first time I've gotten Scrubs as an answer. So I I like yeah. the what's it the breath of fresh air because I usually get like weird animated shows from way back when or just The Simpsons every episode. Yeah, Simpsons I always enjoy, but I was never really big into it. You know, I know some people are like. Uh, crazy cultish on the Simpsons but like it it would be never something I'd be rushing home to watch you know but uh, Scrubs would have been the one that I kind of always religiously had to watch again I don't know just the stupid stupid comedic value of it or something I don't know what the reason behind it was I just always found it funny you know Mm. now see like here's the thing it's only the early version early few seasons of the Simpsons that are any good it's just like they have they have guest stars on, but they just play like a random side character. Like the episode isn't about the guest star, and they actually yeah. had like they had they had adult jokes in there, but you'd have to think about it to get it. It's like you wouldn't, <laughs> you know. They they had a you know they 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 were smart and intelligent show back in the yeah. day, but yeah. now they're just fucking stupid, and that's it. Lowest common denominator shit. So that's why it isn't really as good yeah. as it anymore. I'd say like the last thing I kind of would have watched would have been the Simpsons movie or something. You know, when it's on around Christmas or something, just watch with my kids or whatever. But yeah, it's it, it, the Simpsons was never. Look, I would have watched it or whatever, but it was never something I was really into. Hmm. Yeah, but look, if you're doing something for 25 seasons or whatever, how long they're doing it, you're bound to. Uh, like you're gonna need fresh lads in there to kind of think of ideas all the time. I mean, they've kind of run out of ideas. They they just got renewed for season thirty two. I'm like, man, just hang it up. Like, come on. Too much cash, man. Too much cash to be made. Simpsons as a brand. Well, like if they if they stop making, here's uh, I'll I'll go on my little tirade about the Simpsons. Then I'll get on with the podcast. If they just stopped making the show and made a movie every few years, they'd still make money. They'd have a bit. Of, they'd they'd one run of ideas. They could put all the effort into having good animation for the whole movie, and you know they could make a new story. And you know, so they could they could not fuck it up for a while if they'd done that. <laughs> yeah, and like to, to, to be honest, uh, things like you go out and you're there's um fucking Simpsons vans and all that kind of stuff mm. uh, so man what would you say is your most embarrassing injury you've ever had where it be a jiu-jitsu injury or a non-jiu-jitsu injury just the way you got injured was just so fucking ridiculous the, possibly the worst injury I've ever had is um, I, I tore, tore a labrum in my hip because uh, <laughs> I was pulled into a car park it was raining it was one of these kind of like shopping centre kind of car parky things I stepped out onto a piece of cardboard and my leg just gave way before I got out of the car. So put all this big kind of internal rotation on my hip. And uh, yeah, I was in bits for about five or six months. I think I didn't need surgery or anything, but it was absolutely horrendous. So getting out of the car in a car park is the worst injury I've ever had. <laughs> Quite embarrassing one, but people you know, say like you're getting you're getting the chokes of and joints getting spin different directions all the time and you know putting your body in compromising positions. Well, no, getting out of the car was the one that done it. Mm. <laughs> Man, uh, shit happens indeed. I <laughs> <laughs> oh, so yeah, fucking. If you could ban one guard or position from competition, what would it be and why? Ban one guard. I suppose it'd be close guard. 
Some good, it depends. Uh, kind of higher levels, it can be very interesting to see the game that goes on. And a lot of guys are close guard proficientados. But I just find a lot of guys use it as a stall of position. Mm. Um, then obviously we have like, like a 50-50 and things like that. But I think that 50-50 is kind of evolving into a more, more of a better guard where people are playing it a lot more and not just using it as a, as a stalling position. And plus, you know, all the advantages and stuff have been taken out of it. So, But a yeah, close guard for me would be the one, yeah. I don't really don't enjoy it. I think people just use it to stall. And um, I'm not a fan of it. Mm. Now, see, here's the thing. I agree with you there, but like with just one caveat, it's like I think it should be treated like a double pull sort of thing. Like you're allowed to use close guard, but only for like X amount of time until they stand you back up or you have to transition to something else. I think that's reasonable. Yeah, yeah, because it's like, uh, it even goes like the, it's like, the the guys on the bottom is like right, it's the onus and the guys to, to to on the top to move, and then the guy on top is just like, well, I'm just gonna stay safe so you don't uh, sweep me or or submit me or whatever, and then it just becomes this kind of nobody wants to play anything. But yeah, it's not a bad idea. Get a certain time limit on it. And yeah, you know, I, I think that's I think that's a good way to address both things because you know neither party will stall then or neither party will be all hesitant to move shit if they can own. Otherwise, they risk. If they run out the time they're allotted, they'll just have to stand up and then they don't have any conceivable advantage at all. And then, you know, just, they just yeah. wasted all their time getting there. Yeah, very true, very true. But um, yeah, you see guys like even in transitions, they get back to close guard and then the, the, the pace is completely wiped out of the match. So, you know, they might have scrambled, you know, for a couple of minutes, fighting different positions and there hadn't been a point scored. But then a guard pass is nearly there and then the guy jumps and pulls close guard and gets him back to the guard. And then it's just a, it's like this reset where the kind of match just really kind of dies down and kind of changes the level. And then it can be hard to pick that pace back up for the rest of the match. So, um, yeah, again, I might be totally wrong, but um, that's my bullshit opinion. <laughs> All right, uh, what would you say? Do you have any nicknames in sort of inside the gym? Like, uh... No, just Damo. Is the only one. <laughs> I hope I don't have a nickname on my back. But uh, no, this is just, just Damo. I don't have... Any nicknames? Mm. And then, what would you say is your favorite song to roll to in the gym if you have one? Uh, I, I guess, if you look at a rolling playlist, it's um, it's it's mental. It's uh, it's it's everything from uh, Blur and Oasis right through to like Metallica, and you know, there's a couple of dance tunes in there as well. I have this kind of weird taste in music depending on what day, but uh, I, I like rap music to roll to. Mm. But like a, a lot of rap um, I don't know sometimes I would like a lot of Kings of Leon um, when they can cover all moods depending <laughs> on what humor you're in there's a lot of <laughs> upbeat stuff to some kind of really down stuff but uh, yeah Kings of Leon would probably be my favourite role to no particular song just slap an album on and go for it <laughs> um, uh, so yeah if you could time travel to any historical period where would you go and why? Historical period. Um, I suppose I'd like to just travel back to the era around the kind of World War Two and just kind of experience what it was like. You know, kind of, it's kind of, there's never kind of been anything since it. It's been completely mental, and just to kind of find out what it was like living in certain areas, be it like, be it Germany, like travel to Germany for a week and find out kind of what it was like there, and then maybe be, be like. France or, or England or whatever to find out kind of what it was like there. Um, I, I like a kind of a lot of war movies, a lot of kind of military history. So, yeah, that that would be interesting, I suppose, to find out what the propaganda was like at the time and you know, kind of how the world fell to shit and nearly completely imploded. Mm. Uh, that's a that's a good one, man. We haven't heard uh, World War Two yet. Everyone's always all like, "Oh, dude, I'd go back to the first UFC and kill everyone with modern jiu-jitsu or." <laughs> Ancient <laughs> Egypt or fucking Japan or some shit, but man, that's I don't a rape, I don't rape myself that highly, so I wouldn't. Oh, that's that's a that's a fucking uh, what's it? A refreshing one. Yeah, I said eclectic man. My whole life is eclectic. I've got different interests that don't make sense, uh, different music interests that don't make sense, and yeah, eclectic person. Man, uh, do you have a favorite philosophical quote at all? No. No, I don't really. Um, I always liked the uh, the man in the arena. I think it was uh, Roosevelt that said it. 
um, you know, the man on the arena, it's not the critic who counts, you know, that kind of always kind of stood to me and something that I've kind of tried to instill in my students that, look, just go for it. Don't put too much pressure on yourself and it's always the person outside who will criticise you. It'll never be, or you'll put too much pressure pressure on yourself. Just get out and have fun. Now, see, like, often, uh, especially now with like online things, it's often very easy to criticise people. You know, you only know them through a, a social media platform where they go, that guy's a dickhead or this guy's that and the other. And then it's it's very easy to kind of criticise people without actually formally knowing them, you know. So um, it's, I just don't like the whole social media kind of generation of things, the way things are going. But I often find, especially with co- competing people, putting off like, too much pressure on themselves. And look, no one gives a shit at the end of the day. It's just about kind of how good... How good jiu-jitsu is for you, not how good your jiu-jitsu is, because that one would ring true to me as well. Mm. No, I get you. That's a good one. See, man, what would you say is the worst movie you've ever seen in your entire life? The worst movie? Mm. Um, I think I'm, I'm not good for these on-the-spot questions. <laughs> 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 I, I, I don't know the worst movie I've ever seen, but I started. I like a lot of these kind of murder, kind of mystery, and kind of serial killer kind of things that are out, like the fall and things like that. But uh, somebody told me to watch the Identity. It just started there on Virgin or something, and that's fucking absolutely shy. So here's a recommendation: don't waste your time with Identity. It's brutal. The way it's shot, it's like it's it's shot like. Um, Somebody was on coke who was absolutely is editing the video because everything speeds up, slows down, moves in different directions too quick. It's like, is this a piss taker? Is it an actual drama show? You know, <laughs> yeah. there's a little tip for you don't waste any of your time watching Identity, it's absolute shit. <laughs> oh man, that's fucking glorious. So, man, we got we got a bit of a moral conundrum here if you're up for it. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, my dad, would you rather cure cancer or solve world hunger? Yeah, solve world hunger. Yeah. I, don't, I think we've, that, I know cancer is an absolutely horrendous thing, but uh, there's a lot more people. I think it's it's a lot easier to fix hunger than it is to cure cancer. I think a lot more people are inflicted by it. I suppose it's one of humanity's biggest failings is starvation in the world when, you know, Look at this. You can look at like third world, first world countries, the amount of food that we waste. You know, it's mm. mental. Uh, that's a that's a good one, man. And who knows? Maybe one of the hungry kids will grow up to cure cancer, so you get a two exactly. for one. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you you'll get a two for one deal on that one. <laughs> yeah, that's a nice position to put people in. But uh, yeah, I get it. It's a good question. Mm. Oh, man, in your uh, professional opinion, do you think you could pull off a handlebar mustache? Uh, no, no. Uh, I'm kind of at this at a stage where I have this kind of neatly trimmed beard, and um, if I shave it, I look about twelve. And uh, <laughs> if it grows to like a little bit beyond a couple of weeks, I get to like the, the hobo stage fairly quickly. So I either look like look like I'm twelve if I shave it, or I look like I'm homeless. So, uh, <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> so it's, uh, no, I definitely couldn't pull off a handlebar mustache. Oh my I don't God. even think I'd, I don't even think I'd have the, the the growth ability to be able to get it into such a position. But uh, no, facial hair comes either in neatly trimmed or shaved. There's no kind of there's no go to in between or messing about. Oh man, oh man, if you became a president of Earth, what's the first sort of law you'd enact? Um, let me think. President of Earth. I don't know. Just make sure people are educated and not stupid folks. There's too many stupid people running around ruling the world, and it's mm-hmm. uh, it's 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 quite interesting, you know, where you can we're in a world where Donald Trump can be president of America. So uh, yeah. Suppose we just stop making dumb people famous. <laughs> stop following dumb people. Oh, and like it's kind of a weird thing because see, 
most people in the world are fucking stupid. Let's just be real for a second. And you know, they're obviously gonna, you know, relate to stupid people more. Like that's it's like some weird psychological thing that stupidity rewards stupidity and shit. Yeah, yeah, it's and it's fucking mental. Yeah. And I'll often guys often say, you know, you might as well go and put yourself out there and kind of speak your mind. And, you know, if you know something about a topic or whatever, and then it's like because stupid people are going to do it anyway. And if they're if it's only stupid people putting out kind of content and their opinions and that's all people have to go by. So, you know, we're fucked that way. So you should always try and put yourself out there and explain yourself and have your opinion felt. Mm. Not when you're getting questions off the cuff like this, though. Mm. Man, it's kind of hard to argue with stupid people, though, because, you know, they're, they're black belts in stupidity, so you can't fucking argue with that shit. They, they just won't fucking listen. Yeah, like, I'd often be, like, not that I'd often be, I kind of really, I don't be on social media much, like, I'll pop a story up or whatever for training or whatever, or, you know, st- stuff for the academy or whatever, but I try to kind of stay off it. And, you know, sometimes, you know, you, you're getting stuck in the whole trap of scrolling, you scroll, you see some complete bullshit that you don't agree with and, and just like your life's going to be better if you just don't say anything and then I just forget about it and move on because if you get embroiled in that conversation man you're snookered you know your day is fucking ruined whereas your man is going to have a time of his life so yeah don't engage with stupid people and you'll have a better life hmm. ah you know I get you see man uh, if you had a sorry what's this I can't read my own fucking writing sometimes. What, <laughs> I'm, I'm a bit out of it. I, I like scribble like a fucking lunatic and shit. Like, so much shit's <laughs> completely illegible. <laughs> yeah, on the same way, right? In this kind of uh, Damien version of shorthand, where I think I'm going to be able to, uh, to, to, to translate it. But then I go back and I'm looking like, what the, what the hell? What was I even thinking? Like, or what is that? It's on the same. My shorthand uh, and my my legible handwriting is pretty shit anyway, so uh, yeah, I'm the same. I totally get you. Ah, uh, dude, if you, do you have a jiu-jitsu spirit animal? What would you say your jiu-jitsu spirit animal is? Um, don't know. I suppose it'd be like a panda, you know, kind of soft, but I could squash it at the same time if I wanted to. <laughs> Oh my god, that's that's uh, that's good. Do you, do you play much? Do you play much uh, Panda Guard, by the way? Um, yeah, I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. No, I just kind of, I know, I sort of kind of laid back, so I roll that kind of way as well. But um, yeah, I lay on my back, and then, but if I get on top, I'm gonna squash you. <laughs> oh man. Okay, we've reached the last question, Damien. Are you ready for the last question? This is going to be the one that really gets me, is it? What would you say is the most important lesson you've learned in all your years of jiu-jitsu? Just to, you know, George has this saying, you know, never give up on your dreams. And it's just one of those things, just never give up. I say if if I look at it from a competition aspect, you know, it was just, just keep going. You know, I was, I said, I never really won much until I kind of got to brown belts and things like that. And, it's just one of those things where you just keep knocking on the door and eventually it opens, you know. Uh, just persistence, I suppose. Um, persistence, focus, you know, kind of never giving up on what you want and just having fun. When, uh, it's jiu-jitsu is this kind of cliche, isn't it, where it's, you know, you know, so, you know if, if you don't roll, you don't know and all this shit. But, um, yeah, it's, it's helped me out on everything. And, again, it's the cliche. If you go on the mat and you forget about everything, about your daily life, your bills, you know, what's going on in your personal life and how things are in, in different aspects, they all kind of go out the window and that would really ring true to me. And it's something I try to kind of instill in my students is never be afraid to come on the mat. Like, just roll with a free mind and kind of you'll leave whatever it may be an hour and a half later feeling 10 times better than when you walked in. And it's uh, just to, just to stick with it. And they say, you know, it's... Chris Howder says, isn't it? Like, you're going to be something in 10 years. You might as well be a black belt as well. <laughs> oh, man, that's a great way to put it. All right, so, guys, reach the end of the podcast there. If you want to follow Damien on any social medias, it's at Damien Dowling BJJ on Instagram. And at, if you want to have a look at the Samurai Grappling page, it's at Samurai Grappling Invitational, I think. I have all the stuff in the show notes anyway, so you can just cool. go look. And, guys, if you want to follow 
us on social media. It's at the Humanity Jitsu Podcast. And if you're finding value in our in our content and liking the episodes, consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash humanity jitsu. So Damien, do you have anything to say before we shoot off? Yeah, no, just thanks for having me on. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I don't know how long have we been on? Time's kind of flown by. About uh, an hour of the episode, about an hour 20 of the preamble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's cool. Uh, fair play to you. Um, getting um, so many episodes out. Fair play to you. Just, I think we, we need a lot more, a lot more episodes where we can find out a lot more about people and kind of not just their kind of online presence or whatever it may be. Or you might come across guys who you can get inspiration from who you never would have heard of. Um, you know, if it weren't for things like this, just fair play to you. Keep it going. Mm. Uh, thanks a lot, Damien. And thanks, guys, for listening. Adios. <laughs>